0: So maybe you're familiar with the church scene, or maybe you're still a little bit rusty from the church lingo that's been thrown around these past few days, uh, but we've been talking about the Advent devotional. Have you guys been doing it? It's, it's a wonderful resource, whether you want to do it uh, personally or with your family members or anything like that, that's wonderful. I would really encourage you guys to do that. Uh, but the word Advent, what, what does that mean? It's, it's Latin for coming which is to mean the coming of Jesus into the world. So typically churches all around, not just this nation, but all around the world, they spend really the next four weeks of the four weeks of December to prepare themselves and reflect and hear the Word of God in preparation for the coming Christmas season, Christmas Day. And so like I said, Advent means the coming of Christ. And I want to talk about what that means today, actually. Now, we've read through John 6, and, and but I want to get my, I actually get my first point from a different portion. So I'm going to go ahead and ask the PowerPoint to set that up for us. Now, bear with me as I read this, okay? Uh, I get this from Exodus chapter 16. Is this convenient? Yeah, yeah, it's not a habit. All right. They set out from Elim, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, What would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full? For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger." Then from verses 9 through 16, Moses said to Aaron, Say to this whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded: Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. Amen. So, that's my first point. What is it? God returns grace for our grumbling. Can you hear? Can I? Can I? Can you say hallelujah to that? God, he returns grace for our grumbling. Now, I know a couple weeks back we talked about whining and complaining too. That's a real epidemic. That's a problem in all of our lives. I'm guilty of it. We're all guilty of it. And yet, God, he returns grace for our grumbling. I hate whining. I know that I'm a whiner, right? But it is one of my biggest pet peeves. Now, I'm sure I've whined, but as a parent, it gets under my skin, and as much as my kids might whine to get something, let me tell you, in my book, it is really the surest way for you to not get something, right? When you gripe, you get nothing. When you grumble, it just makes you look sad, right? It makes you look sad, and it's hard for me to extend any type of sympathy. I've noticed in grumbles. In fact, Since this Christmas season is is upon us all, I've noticed at Toys R Us or I've noticed at the mall, I've noticed at CVS or Target where like the toy section, toy aisles are, that I've noticed more kids throwing tantrums. More kids crying, I want it. Mommy, I want it. I want that. Now, I have sometimes admittedly have caved into my kids whining. I don't know why. Maybe that day I failed to take my vitamins and I just lacked the energy. And I lack the power to stand strong, so I'll just cave in and I'll kind of lean in so that they would just clam up, right? Fine. Do you want that little toy? You can take it. And then they, they're all happy, right? But most importantly, they're quiet. And that just makes me so happy. But ultimately, we know whining, it gets you nothing. Turn to your neighbor and say this, Merry Christmas, but quit whining. Now, I think we can all agree on that, right? Like when someone points or pouts, you're, you're not going to just concede and let them have their way. Especially if they're an adult. No way. You want them to struggle. You want them to learn that it is, it is unacceptable for you to act that way. It is unacceptable for you to pout and complain and grumble. So no way. You want them to struggle and you want them to learn that it is unacceptable to act that way. And you want to use their grumbling and you saying no to them as a teaching moment. Right? You want to teach them, which is really all the more amazing when you read this account that God, he could have taught them, he could have done something for them at that moment, he could have slapped them around, but instead what do you do? He returned grace for grumbling. So we've just ended Genesis and it ended with Joseph's death. And you might know the story, but in Exodus, Moses, right, gets his people, and he leads the Israelites out of Egypt. And they, they've they been in Egypt for, what, centuries? They've been enslaved by the Egyptians, and they're crying out to God, saying, help us, save us, Lord. Don't you hear our mourning? Don't you hear our grievances? And so the Lord, he used Moses to lead them out. Now, the story goes, they've been wandering in the desert for just a few days, three days to be exact. They were... They had just left Egypt for three days, and then they began their grumbling. After three days. After three days of being freed from a lifetime of enslavement, they began grumbling. And then fast forward, six weeks later, their grumbling starts back up again. They complain, would that we have died. In other words, another translation says this, if only... We would have just died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt where we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. In other words, they're saying, you know what? I'm suffering so much right now in this life. The fact that I'm out of Egypt and I'm having to endure this wilderness walk and be around with people that, in an unfamiliar area. I'd much rather have gone back to Egypt and live a land, live a life of a slave. Because at least back then, we had meat pots, whatever that was. right? We had bread and we could eat whatever we wanted and be joyful and happy. And all that stuff. And I'm thinking, are you kidding me? Are you insane? I think they forgot that Egypt wasn't exactly a luxury cruise. It wasn't an easy place. It was a place where for decades and for centuries, a whole nation was crying out to God saying, save me, save us, save us. We're going to die. We are dying. Preserve us. There were slaves and yet here they are complaining against Moses and Aaron. And remember, It's not like Moses wanted to go to Egypt either, right? Wasn't Moses the one who had all those excuses saying, oh, I can't speak. I'm not really a good leader. I can't do this. And God's like, hey, I'll do it for you. I'll lead you. But what were they doing? They were kind of killing the messenger here. Now, even though their complaining was spoken to Moses, know this, their complaining ultimately was directed against God. It was directed against God. I like what this one preacher put it. He said this, The deliverance was God's plan. The deliverance happened by God's hand. The deliverer was God's man, and they stood there in the desert at God's command. In other words, this is all God's doing. This is what he's doing. He's orchestrating this. He's leading them. And so their attacks and their complaints were against not just Moses and Aaron, but against God. Folks, grumbling does not just hit the ears of those we grumble to or about. Grumbling Whining, complaining is a complaint against the Lord because we are saying, God, this season in my life is really bleak. I have no friends, perhaps. My family is far away. I've been actually pretty hurt by the things that people have said to me. Or my job is a dead-end job and it stinks. Or my spouse is just is messed up and, 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 I, and we lack intimacy and I just don't want to be with him or her. Or maybe I have no money. There's a financial issue. Or maybe you just need a break. You need a vacation. You're just kind of done and burnt out. Or maybe you're thinking, I just can't get my life back together. Or I hate my neighbor and I've got so many problems in my life and I just want to give up i just want to quit i just want to stop and the reality is this your wife does not control the details of your life your husband does not control the details of your life your parent does not control the details of your life no one does but god god controls so what does that even mean then it means that god he holds the details of our lives in his hand and that is a good thing. I want God to hold me. I don't want anyone else. I don't even trust myself, but I am grateful that the omnipotent, omniscient, eternal, all-righteous, and all-wise God has me in his hands. How about you? I'm grateful. Amen? Well, let's look at the passage again. God, he calls the grumblers to appear before him. Now, I don't know how this happened, how uh, this looked, but either way, God, he had something to say. And so in verse 9, it says, And Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And so as they looked toward the desert, there was the glory of the Lord appearing in the cloud. And in verse 11, God says, Hey, I heard the grumbling. And tell them, tell them what? If it was up to me, I'd say, Moses, I am God. Bring them to me so I can kill every single one of them. I'm done with their complaining, with their pathetic, incessant, complaining and crying. But no, it's none of that. Thank God, God is not me. But seriously, can you imagine what God had to say? He could say, hey, everyone, lest your pea-sized brains have already deceived you, that you've already forgotten I saved your entire nation. Do you remember that? I rescued your entire civilization from extinction. Do you remember that? I used the ten plagues to supernaturally just conquer all the small pagan deities of the Egyptians so that they recognize I am the true God. Did you forget that? But no, he doesn't say any of that. God tells Moses that their grumbling was heard, and that by twilight they'll eat meat, and by morning they'll eat bread, and they will know that the Lord is their God. And so what happened? That evening a flock of quail, they dropped by. The people caught them with their hands, and they enjoyed a feast of meat, which is my kind of party. And in the morning they woke up to what appeared looked like frost or snow in the ground. And what was it? They cried, it was manna. It was manna. And what are we getting here, folks? The point is this. Yes, we're going to grumble. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're going to grumble. But here's the thing. We need to be careful in the way that we do it. We need to be careful because it will affect you. It will negatively impact you and others around you. It'll darken and suppress your mood, your attitude, your outlook when your circumstances are already pretty bleak, when your scenario is already pretty dark. And you know what? Grumbling, it will not help you at the end. It helps no one. It's not therapeutic. It's not constructive. It is not productive or fruitful. And here's the worst part. Grumbling and complaining and whining will actually shape your theology of who you think God is. It will shape your understanding of who God is. It's in that when you constantly grumble and complain about life, you have effectively removed a trait, a characteristic of God that is foundational to who he is. In other words, when you constantly grumble, you're saying, God, you're not God. Because you royally screwed this up. My life, you screwed this up. That person I married, I shouldn't have married that person. The children I have were causing a a pain in my neck. God, I never should have had them. All these things. And so what do you do? You say, God, you dropped the ball on this. You're not really the God I thought you'd be. And so when we make those accusations what are we doing? We are minimizing and we are insulting the lordship of God. We are minimizing his all-powerfulness. We are minimizing his all-knowing, his dominion of rule and reign over everything that happens within us and outside of us. So don't think that grumbling is just some adult temper tantrum or a heart that easily, uh, or, or so, some issue that you got to just complain about. No, a heart that easily grumbles, get this is a heart that is embedded not in the rock of ages but upon seeking sand. When you complain and it becomes only about what is wrong with life and what is wrong with me and what is wrong with God, it becomes all about, God, my heart has never been with you. My soul has never been rested in you. My spirit does not long for you. In fact, all these things, my mind, body, and soul has been seeking after the world. Well, no, duh, we're complaining. No wonder it's so hard. The world will fail you. People will disappoint you. Life will reject you. Place it, your faith and your hope and your life in God, and he will sustain you. Do you believe that? So, that, so does that mean we're not allowed to voice our discontent? No. I think we can certainly do that. And we should do that for the purposes of receiving counsel and seeking advice. But more than that, before any of that, we should be going to God first. When there's problems, whenever whenever you have issues, that's fine, that's life, it happens. But go to God first and say, God, this thing in my life, it really sucks. Be transparent, be honest, and say, God, it really stinks, it's really difficult, and I don't know what to do about it, and it's making me angrier and angrier each and every day i see it within me a force in me creating darkness and creating bitterness in my life and i see myself saying and doing things that go against the new nature that i know i have in christ jesus but lord what i need right now is not for you to simply hear my grumbling out but god what i need from you O oh lord is more grace i need your grace today i need you to sustain me today I need you in your promise to maintain me and lead me each and every day. I know I'm undeserving of anything. And it's the recognition of realizing that you are not the victim, that you are, that there is no victim really, that you know that you've messed up too, but you know what? This is how we approach God. That we humbly seek after his grace. And you want to say, Lord, remind me of how great your love is. Remind me that even when people hate me, when people fail to love me, God, you love me, period. Just as I am, fully known, and yet you fully love. Speak your words of comfort and truth. Brothers and sisters, do not disregard the word of God. Go into it, because that will only be your one source of truth that you get each and every day. And you will see the breadcrumbs of your leading, of God leading and guiding you throughout your life. So yes, there's a warning to us all, but like God has shown his people of Israel, God will also show his people a shining star. You believe that? God is with us, amen? And he's leading us, and he's in charge. So despite our grumbling, God, he will meet our grumbling with grace. Now I hope what I'm about to say next isn't an over-spiritualization, but I still, still feel compelled to say this. You know, God gave the Israelites manna, right? Manna. But he also told them Take what you need for that day alone. Don't take and don't store up extra manna for tomorrow or for the next day or for anything like that. He's saying, don't feel the need to save up. And these people think they have to save up. Why? Because they're living in wilderness. Just like when I went camping with the men's discipleship, we were hiking 10 miles. I had a bottle of water. I did what? Conserve my water. I wasn't like splashing over my face from the get-go. That's ridiculous. You can serve. And so these people, they're thinking, there's no guarantee for, of tomorrow. So I need to store up. And God's saying, no, 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 no. Take what you need for today. Eat as much as you want for today. Brothers and sisters, in the same way, God, he says to us, he wants us to seek after new manna every day too. God is telling us that in him, in him, we don't need to fear because grace is not limited. It abounds in him. You hear that? In him, we don't have to fear, because in him, mercy is not limited. It is overflowing. In him, he is faithful to give us what we need each and every day, and all we need to do is, in faith, step out. Take that step out of our homes. Look out into the field, and you will see the new manna that the Lord has graciously and mercifully spread out before us. And he says, take it. Like, grace is enough for you. In your grumbling, know that God, he will meet you where you are with grace. So what are we supposed to do? We're called to submit to that grace. What does that mean? It means this, to admit that we depend on him each and every day. We are living our lives as if we don't need God. And we certainly live our lives that way too, don't we? We say, God, you're completely devoid of my life. I don't need you. I don't need your word. I don't need to pray or anything like that. And you know what? Yes, is it possible to live our lives to the day that we breathe our last completely with God removed from our lives? But you know what? There's something happening within you. There is a spiritual starvation. You are dying spiritually. And God says this. He says, seek after me each day. In repentance, be humble. Come before me in submission and in faith and you will see how I lavish you. You will see how I energize you. You will see how I give you a new vision, a new direction. You will see the purpose and the aim I give to you. But come to me because I am wanting to give it to you. Amen? But that's not all, folks. Because according to the passage we read together in John 6, 48-58, that's my second point. Not only does God meet our grumbling with grace, but God, he gives us something more. Something definite, something infinite. He gives us Jesus because Jesus gives life to our souls. Say, praise God. Okay, I like cereal. Like that segue? I like cereal. I mean, who doesn't? Am I right? My wife, she laughs at me for liking super sugary children's cereal, like Fruity Pebbles, which is amazing. Come on, stop joking. And I like Frosted Flakes, which is also great. And I will continue to eat those brands until my last day or until I'm medically forbidden. Now I looked up cereals that are considered good for you, and here's a few. And you probably know this. And in fact, you probably enjoy it too. And this is in no specific order: Chex, Honey Bunches of Oats, right? Raisin Bran, Cheerios, and Life, Life cereal. The reason these are recommended is because they all have the minimum daily requirements of vitamins and minerals. And so cereal, like life, was similar to the manna that the Israelites ate. Aside from the spiritual kind of understanding of manna that I just mentioned earlier, manna, while it was really God's grace, was simply also just food. It was just sometimes just food that they ate. And so get this, for 40 years they ate manna. They ate life cereal every day, but it was okay, because that's what they needed. It sustained them. It gave them what they needed, and it really was a gift from God. That was a good thing. So you give me a lifetime supply of checks or whatever, I'll be happy. Thank you. So no wonder these people were interested in Jesus so much, according to the passage, because He has done something similarly spectacular when he fed 5,000 people with the boys' lunch. And this can be found in earlier John chapter 6. And so the Jews, they had this expectation that when the Messiah came, that he would also, again, feed his people with manna from heaven, just like God did back in Exodus. But here's the difference, okay? Jesus wanted the people to understand, look, Eating manna, eating bread is fine. I know that you have this expectation for the divine Messiah to come and do this for you, and that's fine. But he's saying this. He's saying that he himself goes beyond that because Jesus himself is the nourishment that their souls need. So while eating physically was fine, Jesus was saying, look, I know you're looking and hoping that the Messiah will come and feed you this amazing man that you've heard your Parents, 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 your dads, dads talk about and share about this whole manna covering the fields and wilderness. But here's the thing. I've come here to offer you something better. I've come here not to feed you physically with something really cool like manna, but I've come here to feed you spiritually because I know this is what you really need. You need to save your souls, and I'm the one doing it. That's why in these verses, Jesus, he makes a distinction between the manna from heaven, which is the bread of, of the Jews of Jesus' time, have heard so much about, and have dreamt of experiencing themselves, and the bread of life, which Jesus called himself. So why the distinction? Here it is. Because as great as that manna from heaven was, it was still deficient. Can you imagine that? God says, I'm going to grace you all with manna. And you can eat this, it's gonna sustain you. But it was still deficient. How could that be? How could such an awesome daily gift of God's grace be deficient in any way? Because what could possibly be better? And Jesus says in verse 49, you know, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. That's what Jesus is calling out to the Jews. He's saying, look, this whole thing that you're looking for, guess what? Your forefathers, they ate manna. They had what you were looking for, but where are they now? Where are they now? They died. He says, yeah, life was pretty great back in the good old days, but guess what? They all died. They got manna. They got what you are looking for, but they still died. Jesus was saying, you can have the best food every day. You can have a little bit of the good stuff to get you going each and every day. You can have some happiness. You can keep. Uh, you can get some uh, successes and whatever to keep you going each and every day. You can have your job that you love and are passionate about to motivate you each and every day. You can have your family and friends to, uh, to for you to look forward to coming home and and seeing and fellowship and hanging out with each and every day. All these good stuff in your life. You can have that. You can have these successes. You can have these pleasures. But even that manna is not enough. It's still what you're still going to die. And that's really an issue that we have. What is the manna that you think is going to save you today? What is the thing that you think, I need, God? I need this so bad. Jesus saying, It's not enough. Whatever it is, it's not enough. You know, I have a daughter who wants Christmas presents, and when we pass by the toy section, she says, I really want that, and that would make me happy. Daddy, can I get that? That would make me so happy, and yeah, I could buy it for her. And it won't make her happy, right? She'll be happy, and she'd play with it for a few days, maybe a couple weeks. But we know what happens after that. What happens? Her interest runs out. It doesn't ultimately sustain her, and it's no different for us today either. We say, God I need new manna for today. And so for us, that might mean I need to get that job that will complete me. I need to get that degree or get that girl or that boy or get the recognition or the title or the respect. And God, he can certainly grace us with those gifts, but those gifts of God will never sustain us. Those gifts of God that grace us will never sustain us. Now, my wife, she loves me to death. That's right. Like she is crazy, head over heels in love with me. I know that I'm a gift of God to her. But if you were to talk to her privately and ask her to be honest about the man I am, she would probably say, "Yes, of course I'd love. Of course I love him." Close the door. But let's just say I won't be placing all my eggs in his basket if you know what I mean. She would say, my husband's great. I love him. But let's just say there are times where he's one stick short of a bundle. Yes, he's a great guy, super nice, really, really considerate. But sometimes he might be as useful as a screen door on a submarine. (laughs) What's my point? First is this, pray for grace for having to put up with someone like me. Secondly, and most importantly, whatever we ask for in terms of our immediate needs, and while those, meeting those needs are important, so these things that you're seeking after, it's not bad. Wanting to accomplish this and succeed in that and, and, have, and have a relationship and get married, that's not bad, but they will never, ever sustain you for good. It will never satisfy your soul. I will never be God for grace. I can't. So she knows never to place that expectation on me. Now hear me out, folks. Remember, the Israelites were eating manna for 40 years, right? Do you know why? Well, You're probably thinking, well, it's because he was gracious. God was being loving and and he provided for his people and all that stuff. Yes, God was gracious. Yes, God was merciful. But the reason why God gave the Israelites manna each day for 40 years was because of this. Because they were still under God's judgment. They're still under God's judgment. What? God said this. He said, hey, I want to take you, my children, to a land that's filled with milk and honey. I want to take you to a place where I can give you the main dish. I want to take you to your final destination. I want to welcome you home. And I want to give you the steak and the lobster and the good stuff and the great stuff. But... What did you do? You rebelled against me. You disobeyed me. You hated me. You angered me. So you will not get the place of milk and honey because you did not listen to me. And you did not take possession of the land I said, it is yours. You did not trust me. You thought I was weak. And so in his righteous anger, God says, you will never enter into my rest. And so he sent them into the desert to wander around 40 years until that entire unbelieving generation died out. So yes, God, he gave them manna. Yes, God provided for them what they needed to, to, for them to keep going. God, he provided for their physical life. But eating all the manna in the world could not produce what they needed the most. And what was that? They needed the forgiveness of their sins. They needed the restoration of their lives back to God. It was, they needed an entrance back into God's promised rest. And so this unbelieving generation, while they did get these graces, while they did get daily sustenance and assistance, they ended up either way dying physically and spiritually. They died while chasing after their manna. Do you want the gift or the giver? Do you want the manna from God or do you want the provider of that manna? God is saying this today. Look, we can still have it all. You can be so successful and so happily married and still have nothing if you do not have Christ. You can gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul. Look, Jesus' point wasn't that manna was bad. His point was that it was not enough. It was not enough. The blessings of God are good. They truly are, but those blessings have shortcomings too. It is only Jesus who gives life to our souls. In verse 48, Jesus makes a couple statements. He says, first, I am the bread of life. Then in verse 50, verse 50, he says, I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. But interestingly, guys, and I want you to listen to me as the passage goes on, Jesus' point gets increasingly disturbing. He said to them, Flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And I know this isn't exactly the greatest Advent sermon that you want to hear right now. It's kind of weird. We gotta be cannibalistic in our lives. What does that mean? Jesus was defining exactly how he nourishes our souls to life. He's telling you exactly the pathway of salvation. This is exactly what Jesus is saying, He's saying is different from manna. This flesh is a word that we get from John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In other words, the living eternal Word, God the Son, He came down into the mud and into the filth and into the dirt of this world to live in the mess with us. He became flesh for us. Think about that. You know, Brother Tom here, he's been... (laughs) He's been encouraging me to do the Spartan race or the Tough Mudder race, right? Including Caleb, too, I know. Which is essentially a marathon race with muddy obstacle courses. But here's my only hesitation. I don't like getting dirty. (laughs) Well, with that and also the act of running, I don't like running. Well, anyways, the fact that I would get dirty and the fact that I would have to run was enough for me to reject a beloved brother in Christ. Like, I I don't want to participate in that fellowship. Like, that's horrible, isn't it? You want to watch a movie? I'm there. You want to do something clean? I'm there. And yet we have Jesus, the Holy One, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He leaves his place of glory to enter into a state of muddiness. To be with us. But then Jesus speaks of his blood. Not only was he speaking about his flesh, which, by the way, was inappropriate to talk in that cultural context. No one talks about flesh. But now speaking of blood was simply offensive to the Jews. The law forbade them to drink blood or even to eat meat that had some blood on it. And so the mentioning of drinking not just an animal's blood, but drinking his blood was just a vile, vile thought. So what's with this flesh and blood talking about? It was not a reference to life, but it was a reference, this flesh and blood, to death. Violent death. Jesus was talking about his death on the cross. He's saying this. He's saying, look, I know that you're impressed with my teaching. I know that you love how I can articulate my ethical teachings. But all those wonderful things that I spew out and that I teach and that I counsel, that will not save your life. And he says, you know what? I know you're impressed with my moralistic living. I know that you call me a good teacher. I know that you know I live uprightly and righteously. But guess what? Even that will not give life. He's saying, I'll tell you what gives life. It is the bloody, ugly, violent, sacrificial death on the cross that gives life. I die for you so you can have life. I die to give you life for your soul. I die so that God can reclaim your spirit. I die so that you will enjoy the fullest satisfaction of eternal life with me. Jesus' flesh and blood does all what all the manna in the world could never do. His flesh and blood, it cleanses us from sin. It repairs our relationship with God. It gives us eternal peace with God and it reconciles us to himself and it brings us spiritual health and life for all the eternity. Not some manna that we pursue. Not some manna that we put all our eggs into Uh uh-uh it is Jesus and Jesus alone being good and doing good and just wanting good things for yourself is no different from checking the nutritional label of us inside of a cereal box and thinking wow this is good for me yes it might sustain you for that morning or for that day yes in fact it might make you feel really good and really strong and healthy but it will always leave you hungry It will always leave you lacking and wanting more and more. Why? Because it is not meeting the most important need. So you see, brothers and sisters, we are spiritually malnourished. Only Jesus can give eternal life to your weary soul. So know that God, he returns grace for our guilt. So my encouragement is this, continue to seek after his new man each day. Say, Lord, I am messing up right now. I am faltering right now, but give me the grace I need through Jesus Christ to continue on because I don't have the strength to carry on. I don't have the energy to keep going. But secondly and finally, know that if you look for anything outside of Christ, if you look for anything outside of Christ to lead and somehow sustain you and fulfill you, you will fall short, you will stumble, and here's a guarantee for all eternity, you will be so discontent. So keep reminding yourself of the gospel of Jesus each day. Fall before him every day. Let the giving of his flesh and blood remind you of what he has already accomplished so that you could remain steadfast in life and secure for all eternity. We live because he died for us. And I want to end with this quote by Tim Keller, former pastor, redeemer of Presbyterian Church. He says, There has never been... A gift offer that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ uh, requires us to do. Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That means you are not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. And so, brothers and sisters, no manna that you seek in this life, whatever it might be, no matter how good it might be, could ever replace the source and giver of salvation who paid it all on the cross with his flesh and blood. Amen. Amen. Let us all praise the one who gave it all for us. Let's bow our heads in prayer, and as we meditate upon what you've heard what you've just heard, that in humility, that in deep repentance, God, I need your grace. And us saying that, is saying, God, I know I can't do this on my own. I depend on you. I have tried to use my strength. I have tried to make things right on my own. But I keep failing. I keep faltering. I keep messing up. And yes, I can somehow inherit the whole world and all the successes and all the pleasures that come with it. But I know deep down inside my soul... Still seeking. My soul is so malnourished. Nothing in this world can ever complete me. Brothers and sisters, let's take a moment. Friends, if you do not know Christ, tomorrow there's no guarantee. Come before Him and repent. Say, God, I need you. Lead me in this life. I submit and I throw myself at the foot of the cross. Let's take a moment and pray, and we'll go into our last song.